a couple of the conversations from the RBA are sort of indicating we potentially are squashing inflation right now. Welcome to the Urban Property Investor. I'm your host, Sam Saggers, here to help you crack the code of real estate wealth. Today's show, our code cracker. Yes, we're going to dig into the interest rate movements. We're going to have a chat about the economy, what's going on. Uh, we've just had the Reserve Bank in February, the RBA uh, leave interest rates on hold. They're holding. What does holding actually mean? Why are they holding? Why don't they put the interest rates back down? Or should they be putting interest rates up further? Let's have that conversation. It's always a good conversation to have. A lot of people obviously are influenced by interest rates and a lot of people's back pockets are hurting because of interest rates. So I think it's a good conversation to have. And of course, welcome back, regular listeners. Thank you for uh, choosing me to uh, learn about real estate. And of course, all the episodes I've done are actually lessons on real estate. So feel free to go back. And of course, if it's your first time tuning in, there's only one rule here. Play me in double speed. Get your life back. There is no point in listening to my podcast rabble on in actual real-time speed. Speed me up. Technology allows that. So, uh, hey, here we are. First uh, interest rate decision of 2024. What does it all mean? What is the market doing? How can we analyze what is happening? Let's have that conversation because I am fascinated by interest rates. I think a lot of human beings are, are certainly uh, affected by inflation. And of course, inflation is really just the idea that purchasing power disappears from people's back pocket because things cost more. And of course, unless incomes keep up with inflation, it's virtually impossible to get out of the rat race. So putting inflation back in its little bottle is, uh, is a good thing for the overall community. But inflation obviously brings with it the idea that demand changes and pricing power changes. So I'm a big believer, and I've said this many times, uh, if you want to be a bulletproof investor, always own pricing power assets. Assets whereby when demand changes, your asset still is in vogue. And of course, real estate carries pricing power. You need a roof over your head. So in fact, it really is the number one pricing power asset, albeit food and water are also up there. So when you think about Ultimately, what you need to start the day, you need a roof over your head, you need a glass of water, you need a bowl of food. So uh, I tend to invest in pricing power assets. I don't really speculate outside of that. I've got shares in uh, food companies. I've got real estate, which carries pricing power. And I do also follow the energy sector, 
which ultimately energy is also something which carries with it pricing power. We need to turn on the lights. Uh, we need to cook food. So we need energy. So uh, now we got that out of the way, uh, let's have a little chat because 2024 has with it some key points which I think are important. I think we're obviously going to get more rental growth and there's some great statistics. I actually just did a show on where the rental market is headed. So go back about three or four episodes and you'll find that show. Uh, We are going to see a great movement of more rent. And the beautiful thing is rents will go up, but we actually may see interest rate relief later in the year. In other words, rents may still climb in value, but the cost to own a mortgage may drop in value. And of course, if you're an investor, that is music to your ears because there is more after-tax cash flow coming into your pocket. Now, there are obviously the idea that in 2024, we still have this massive supply and demand imbalance. There's people queuing up for rental properties. And of course, the real estate market is not producing enough approvals and completions. It's not producing enough uh, real estate for there to be uh, a real, um, I guess, oversupply situation. So we are looking at the defaults or people who are late on their mortgage. It's it's very, very low. Um, but ultimately, uh, what we're seeing, obviously, if rates continue to go up, there'll be more defaults on mortgages or people late with their mortgage, working things through with their bank. Uh, but I don't think we're going to get to that point because uh, a couple of the conversations from the RBA sort of indicating we potentially are squashing inflation right now, which is really the purpose of putting up rates. Uh, You can't have inflation at 7% because most people's wages won't go up by 7% per annum. So really, uh, inflation is not such a good thing to be out of the genie bottle. We need to put it back. So putting rates up is is ultimately the thing to to squash inflation. And of course, where does inflation come to? We've done episodes on that. We know uh, QE or the printing of money through COVID obviously created too much money in the economy and uh, ultimately too much spending and uh, you know too much money chasing too fewer goods. So the cash rate today sits at circa 4.35%. Now, uh, interesting, NAB actually has a interest rate hike in March, um, which I'm not too sure if that's going to unfold. We'll see what happens. But ultimately, that interest rate hike, if it was to unfold in March, to f- pushing the cash rate to 4. 6-0% would be the last cash rate. It would indicate the top of the cycle. Uh, Westpac has the cash rate on hold now all the way through to September 2024, where it starts to drop. And by June 2025, Westpac has the cash rate back down to 3.35%. By June 2025, 
NAB, National Australia Bank, has the cash rate back down to 3.85%. Now, the guys at these banks update this data regularly, so it can buffer around. But ultimately, it's probably fair to say we are at the top of the monetary cycle, which is really good news. Now, understanding monetary cycle is always a little bit complicated. There are basically six sections the cycle of money can be in when uh, connected to, um, you know, the inflation rate and really the growth or GDP per annum of the country. Obviously, the country wants to grow. So uh, if you're not growing, you're stagnating, you're going backwards, real wages drop if you're going backwards, unemployment uh, gets much higher if you're going backwards, and ultimately you can end up in a recession. So if your economy is really going backwards by, say, uh, 2% per quarter and you have two quarters, three, four quarters in a row, you are in a recessionary environment. And recessionary environments obviously are not good whatsoever because real wages come down, people sit outside of the employment market for years, there's a lack of innovation because people aren't using their mind or their skills, uh, they're sitting on the sidelines, uh, their wage should be $100,000 a year and it drops to $80,000 a year. So recessions are not good things, though some do argue recessionary economies do clean out uh, ultimately dead wood, so to speak, and lead to a period of going from a slum uh, time, a, a recessive time, to a very innovative time. And uh, some do argue Australia really um, sometimes lacks that innovation spirit because it doesn't go from a, so much a, a bust to a boom. It tends to travel through time very much avoiding recessions. And of course, the reason Australia avoids recessions a lot of the time is population economics. The model, business model here in Australia is ultimately bring more people into the country, uh, get them uh, a degree. Uh, when they get that degree, they're usually 20, 21, 22, 23. So they're young and they've got a full lifespan of paying tax uh, basically in front of them. So offer them obviously further visas to eventually become an immigrant uh, and put them into the system. So you're, you're basically uh, not paying for those people when they're children, uh, which basically doesn't contribute to GDP, and uh, you're capturing them when they've got their full ability to pay tax for the rest of their life. So Australia is very good at this. Uh, it's, it's one of the best in the world. Bring people here, uh, get them into the system, sell them a house, uh, and get them going. And of course, that's the model. Uh, Australia's model, fire economics, uh, lots of people coming into the system, sell them finance, uh, uh, real estate, and ultimately insurance, and you'll get them consuming into the economy. Of course, Australia has a big mining sector as well. We are the world's quarry, but obviously there's 
less people in mining. I think there's some 200,000 jobs in mining. And of course, a lot of the mines are in remote places. So you don't get this sort of circular effect of that money being splashed about creating more jobs. Uh, You uh, simply have a very wealthy, ultimately quite wealthy class of people who are connected from the mining sector. But what does get splashed around the economy is obviously education. Um, You get people, uh, basically, um, students coming with their money. They bring money from overseas. They spend it on on stuff. Uh, They then become uh, ultimately a citizen. Um, They buy a house. And, of course, this creates a lot of jobs. It's the big rock effect, the multiplier effect. So we've got six sections that the economy can end up in, right? And of course, the first is a recessive economy. Now, just to be really clear, a recession is a low inflation rate, but uh, a low GDP growth rate. So the recession or inflation is going backwards. And so what happens is inflation actually drops. It, 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 you get deflation and the cost of things go down. Um, and you might say, well, that would be great. I'd love everything to, to come down. Um, and, th- you know, that's why some people argue a recession is, is not such a bad thing because you get the cost of goods and services coming down. You get wages dropping. Uh, you can even get properties going down in price as well. So a recession is effectively, if you can imagine, uh, you know, the RBA loves 2% as an inflation rate. They want the economy to grow by 2%. So that means you have to grow by 2%. Inflation, if it was negative 2%, um, and the GDP as the country was a negative 2%, that effectively is the image of a recession. Now, what people don't want is what is known as stagflation. Stagflation is is a very, very bad thing when it comes to economics. And this is what the Reserve Bank is really mindful of, that uh, if they don't leave the cash rate high for, say, you know, pretty much till the end of the year at its current level. Um, If they drop it too soon, what can happen is it can lead to uh, a sense for the community that, you know, it's time to splash spending. And what can ultimately happen is the citizens of a country can start going crazy and spend, chasing uh, basically too fewer goods, but economically, the country can start to go backwards. So the worst thing you want is effectively a runaway inflation rate, but low GDP or negative GDP rather, uh, and the country basically going into a stagflated recession. In other words, things cost a lot more, but everyone's going backwards. The country's going backwards. Your wages are going backwards. Um, no one wants that. That would be the worst case scenario. So a recession and stagflation are two different things. Um, some do argue a recession's not such a bad thing, but stagflation, no one would like to see that. And of course, um, 
we are in a period of inflation and what the Reserve Bank is ultimately trying to do is fix that inflation but also grow the economy, which is a tricky set of fundamentals. And what they are looking for is ultimately a soft landing. And you'll hear that word splashed about. What is a soft landing? Well, a soft landing is effectively an inflation rate of 2% and a GDP rate, a country growth rate, of around 2%. So two and two. So if you can imagine there's a, uh, you know, classic graph, uh, inflation going up, uh, GDP going horizontally, or vertically, what, what, let me think about that. What's vertical? Verticals up, horizontals across. Uh, so you effectively have an inflation rate of, of uh, 2%, but a country growth rate of 2%. That would be a soft landing. At the moment, uh, the inflation rate is 4% and uh, the GDP growth is, you know, circa 1%. So we're still a little bit too high and uh, ultimately that's, that's why the Reserve Bank will not cut rates, uh, we don't think, until the end of the year to stabilise that inflation. Now, you can ultimately have what is known as a controlled, stabilised balance sheet recession, where effectively you are basically orchestrating two quarters of negative growth in the country where really you get this kind of 0% effect of growth in the country. And uh, though you have a technical recession, no one's wages really go backwards. Um, The inflation rate does drop, but the inflation rate uh, comes down to a point where it then jumps into reflation. So it doesn't, it doesn't last long. It's, it's quick Um, it's a quickie. And so the Reserve Bank really wants a quickie or it wants that soft landing. What it doesn't want to do is re-inflate inflation. And of course, this is where the four horsemen are always coming up with, uh, you know, instruments which kind of can be counterproductive to inflation. Um, Now, I'm not saying it's a good or bad thing or whatever. Um, I'm just explaining an example. Obviously, the federal government has played with the tax system to allow people to make more money. Uh, When you put more money in people's back pockets, they are likely to spend that money. Uh, When they spend that money, you reinflate, obviously, inflation. So you can see the Reserve Bank's trying to get inflation down. The tax adjustment is inflationary, so you have a deflationary versus inflationary effect. Uh, no one really knows if it will cause reflation, uh, that decision, but ultimately it's an example of two uh, instruments working against each other. So um, certainly I think most Australians, you know, are happy about getting more money in their back pocket. 
Um, and uh, I'm, you know, not here to say that was a bad thing or a good thing. I'm just explaining the the two worlds colliding, so to speak. So as we know, uh, the real estate market through 2023 um, has travelled through a pretty interesting period. I mean, we started the year with real estate market going down as the cash rate went up. And in theory, assets grow in value when the cost of money drops. And we've lived through really a decade of worthless interest rates. And really, the next decade, interest rates won't be worthless. They'll probably return to their mean, which is around uh, as a interest rate level, uh, around 5% borrowing money off the bank, about 5.3% actually. So uh, house price growth in 2023, has it's been strong. I mean, sometimes you've got to look back at this data to just really understand, wow, what has been happening? And if we look at places like Perth, Brisbane, Adelaide, Sydney, I mean, there's some double-digit growth figures which have unfolded, which are incredible. Um, I think Melbourne has got a lot of uh, retracted growth. Uh, it it may uh, surge when it gets going because it's got a little bit of built-up uh, growth in it, you know, and uh, that's that's not such a bad thing. So we'll probably put uh, Melbourne in that value market proposition at the moment, but certainly the other uh, top four major cities with over a million people, house price growth in 2023, super strong. And, of course, the apartment growth, uh, has also been pretty uh, spectacular. Uh, Adelaide's apartment growth about 18.6% in 2023. Now, of course, Adelaide has not a lot of apartments, so the data set is not very weighted, but still very, very good levels of growth uh, in that asset class. Um you know, and uh, all markets have grown, all markets in 2023 grow, which kind of defies logic when it comes to uh, really the the idea of the cash rate where it is. Um, you, you're sort of like, well, shouldn't things go down? Well, there's a lot of stability behind the real estate market at this point, certainly. Pricing power is one of them. Uh, people will stop going to the restaurant to pay the mortgage. That's effectively an example of pricing power. Rental growth has been bananas, uh, and I've done shows on this, but absolutely bananas, like double-digit rental growth through 2023 for houses and units. I mean, Melbourne's unit market, 22% up. Uh, that's a very weighted market. There's a lot of, obviously, people living in apartments, so good data, but... Uh, Brisbane, 26%. A lot of people living in apartments. Good data. Huge rental growth. Sydney, 25% rental growth. And I tell you what, I don't think it's over. I think uh, the future of rental growth is another 10% on top of that. Um, and there's certainly some reports out doing the rounds of rental growth all the way up to 2028. So when we tackle the economy, interest rates is obviously the one measurement where the rubber meets the road. And um, you can talk about macroeconomics all you like, but really for most people, it comes down to where is the cash rate? How much does it cost for me to borrow money? 
and so I think today's show talking about interest rate movements is an important one. And obviously, we know if we track back to, say, 2007, the cash rate uh, was very, very high, very high. I remember borrowing, uh, getting a home loan in 2007, and I paid 11.5%. Um, and at the time, I could still afford to, to buy real estate. Um, obviously, prices have jumped since 2007, and the cash rate today is a lot higher than certainly where it has traveled through really since that time, 2007. It's fair to say we've lived in deflation. Um, We have not lived through a decade of inflation. And I do think really we now are going to live in a period where we won't have ultimately too much deflation. I think we'll live in a more sensible time where putting your money in the bank allows for a return on that deposit. I think putting your money in real estate allows for a return on your investment because inflation or a little bit of inflation is not such a bad thing. It drives obviously real wages. It drives obviously output it drives uh, people to to uh, grow their asset base. And so rates are on hold, I guess, for how long? Uh, if we listen to the big banks, it'll be towards the end of the year. If we listen to the Reserve Bank, uh, they're sort of learnt from their mistake by Philip Lowe, basically saying interest rates will be on hold till 2024 back in 2022, uh, you know, it's a bit of a bit of a let's let's suck it and see kind of um, mentality. But why the rates probably need to sit on home on hold is that stagflation conversation. No one wants to go through a period of time where the economy snaps, but interest rates are just, you know, charging. Oh, sorry, the inflation rate is just charging, which will then drag up the interest rate. Uh, and of course, that would be not a good situation whatsoever. So the economy is quite strong and you can often, I guess, reference economics through the jobless rate, obviously the employment figures, uh, and we're still near record lows. So um you know, unemployment, if you like, or the participation rate is very, very high. And really, you know, the unemployment rate has to go up because it's at a record low. So it can't get lower. It can only get higher. And of course, um, you know, that in itself is something what the Reserve Bank actually wants to happen. They want basically the economy to shred uh, you know, tens of thousands of jobs to, to uh, you know, put inflation back into its little bottle. But uh, certain things are, are still a little bit uh, high. And of course, um, headline annual inflation came down to 4.3%, uh, which is an inflation rate which I think is going to be the toughest 
inflation bit to crack. I think getting it down from 7% to 4% was uh, was doable. Uh, but now getting it from 4 to 2 is going to be a little bit more work for, for everybody. So uh, the annual fall uh, from... The, the, the cash rate has come down from 5.6%. And uh, significant contributors to inflation have been food has risen by 5.3% and housing has risen by 6.6%. So housing figures, as those rental growth rates are in there. And of course, um, some of those resale figures of growth rates, like they're all in there. So you got housing and food going up. And uh, again, pricing power assets go up. Hence why I invest in food and real estate. And you've got uh, really uh, some uh, costs that are basically stagnating, like fuel um, which is up 2.3%. But interesting, uh, as we track inflation, uh, the US inflation figures are coming down. So the US interest rate was 5.5%. Um, the Australian, uh, sorry, the US cash rate is 5.5%. The Australian cash rate, 4.39%. So if you looked at the Australian cash rate versus inflation rate, the inflation rate is 4.9, the cash rate 4.35. And so we can see that um, there's a correlating number there. But inflation, I we believe is also tracking oil prices and oil prices are coming down, which um, is, is good, is good. It uh, had a little bit of a jump over the last month, but it is coming down in price. And so if we go back to the cost of oil in say June, 2022, the cost of oil was $114.75 uh, US a barrel. Now it's $77.41 US a barrel. So uh, what we've seen is a correlation with the cost of actual oil going down that uh, you've had also a decline of uh, the CPI figures. So Oil price declined 32.5% since that period and the inflation rate has also declined 33.3% since that figure. So it is what it is. Uh, we are starting to see inflation ultimately come back, which is, which is what we want to see. We've still got a record low jobless rate, but that's looking to increase. Uh, we are seeing wages grow, which of course is stickier for inflation. Uh, some reports say the average wage will now grow a lot uh, more so than it did during the deflationary period. 
And so the national wage index is up uh, basically by about 1.3% over the last quarter of last year. And uh, we did see an annual wage increase last year of 3.6% uh, to 4%, depending on the actual job you're involved in. So inflation rate, 4%, um, wage growth, 4%. Um, we, are, we are seeing the, the two access points kind of marry up. And uh, obviously for some companies, they can handle a wage growth of 4%, but they could not do that every year. So effectively, you, are, you need to get the inflation rate lower uh, because a lot of companies just simply couldn't constantly compound a 4% wage growth, uh, uh, you know, pass on effect. So if we have higher wages, that drives up interest rates. And we saw that uh, effectively in Mining Boom 1, which effectively when I borrowed that money at 11.5% uh, was off a wage spiral effect from mining boom one, um, where effectively Australians, you know, doubled their income during about a five-year period. And of course, uh, that pushed the cash rate up to its, uh, you know, 20-year high, certainly higher than what it is today. Um, so we want some wage growth, but we don't want it to get out of control. So these are all the all the interesting, I guess, dynamics. But if you look at the uh, current wage growth index, the annual index, 4%, 3.6 to 4%. Um, you know, you have to go all the way back to 2010 to see numbers like that, which is, uh, yeah, which is interesting, right? Still a shortage of, of real, um, you know, workers in the economy, but we do believe that the jobless rate will have to rise because it it's too low where it is and eventually that will come through. We might sort of see that in certain industries, retail, hospitality, um, you know, food and bev may sort of suffer from the pricing power concept if the rates uh, stickier for the rest of the year. So obviously, um, we are also uh, in a low building approval era. Um, so that is good for the softening of inflation. Um, but certainly a lot of people's roles are connected with the home building section of the market. So to summarize, Inflation is certainly improving. It's dropping. Uh, it's still sticky, but it's dropping. Um, if the oil price starts to go back up, uh, will that stick inflation further? That is the conversation. Uh, if oil prices drop, I would imagine the inflation rate will continue to come down. If oil puts back on in a volatile world, another $20, $30 a barrel, uh, we will see that stickier uh, inflation rate, which would probably mean the Reserve Bank would struggle to drop rates. 
Uh, the economy, though, is pretty well positioned to deal with the shock. And um, one of the things we need to understand, if there was a shock that came to the world, a crisis, uh, when your interest rates or your cash rate is where it is today, it's a good lever to to build confidence. Like you've got a good cash rate now where if there's a shock to the global economy, you could drop rates back down to 1%, everyone would be out spending again. So um, we saw that in COVID, that when there was a risk that you could not see that came to the uh, world, you know, having interest rates at a good level is a good thing because it allows a lever to be pulled. You would not want a shock in your economy um, when your interest rates are, are, are basically 1%, when your cash rate is 1%. Like, what can you do? You would then see an incredible stagflated economy. You would see QE, money splashed out. Um, yeah, you would see Keynesian economics. You would see it all. Probably not uh, a good place to get to. Uh, house prices will probably do okay in 2024. I mean, I don't think we're going to set any like, you know, boom style records, but we will see rental growth and also capital growth, uh, which is in itself inflationary and will ultimately stick to that inflation number, which the uh, Reserve Bank's trying to deal with. Um, and uh, really, there's nothing they can do about that because of terrible planning. I mean, when you eradicate investors from the market, when you don't build enough properties, I mean, what's so interesting, you know, the federal government's come out, let's build a million homes, and we're at a 12-year low. Like, uh, it's absolutely going wrong, that um, that particular uh, you know, plan, it's it's not off to a good start. I mean, maybe it'll fix itself. I don't know. But wow, bad start when you're, you know, a year into to that particular policy and the uh, media comes out, we're at a 12-year low of, of, of new construction. Um, so I don't know where these homes are coming from. I really don't know. Uh, and I see it, you know, in my role, you know, part of what I do is analyze developments and it's not a lot to analyze these days. So uh can certainly, certainly see it. So uh, I guess, you know, underlying demand is well above the supply and the underbuilding happening. So with the resumption of migration, rents are going up. It's, it's, it's as simple as that. Um, and you know, I would say we we have a little bit further to go when it comes to the cash rate, you know, coming off. But if we go back up to where Westpac has it, 3.35, I think it was, percent uh, in, let's just get the actual number, 3.35% June 2025. Uh, 4.10% September 2024, December, uh, effectively Christmas, 3.85%. So that's the cash rate. That's the cash rate. Um, you know, uh, obviously you've got to load that for a home loan rate. So you might be sort of borrowing money at, you know, six, five and a half percent. 
probably some honeymoon rates lower than that around that period. Uh, and then I think I think we'll probably settle around there. So um, yeah, you know, I would imagine the June twenty twenty five numbers starting to mirror the thirty average numbers. Uh, cash rate sort of. 3.35 to 3.85, depending on NAB or Westpac, June 2025. It's really once you load, um, obviously, a home loan interest rate on top of that, uh, the bank's got to make some money, so they 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 uh, add some some margin to it. You, you're probably back at your 30-year average by then. Uh, certainly, I don't think we're going to go back into deflation, uh, which ultimately is a low inflation rate coupled with, uh, you know, uh, a low low growth rate for the GDP. But yeah, I can see the soft landing ahead, uh, which is the buzzword. Will we get the soft landing? Uh, will we reinflate? Will we stabilize and balance sheet recession? Will we hit recession uh, or will we now trigger stagflation? I don't see stagflation. I'm going to put that as a 1% probability at this point. Uh, I do see a soft landing. I'd probably give that about a 45% probability. Do I see reinflation? And what I mean by reinflation is, are we going to sit at that round, that 4% per annum inflation rate for a few years? Uh, I could give that a higher probability of around sort of 20%, I guess. Uh, control balance sheet recession, basically, you know, just a quick, short, sharp um, smack. Uh, i give that about a 15%. And um, a deep, dark recession where everyone's wages are going backwards big time and the country is going backwards big time and you're stuck there for three years. I don't see that. I'm going to give that a sort of 2%, 1%. Um, so I don't know if that percentage added up. Uh, don't think it did, but hey, you get the picture. All right, folks, uh, I've got Cthoon. Yes, my nose is itchy. It's windy and I have uh, basically Cthoon, the Japanese word for hay fever. So I'm going to find a Cthoon tablet and uh, hey, you keep well. Let's talk soon. See you on the next show. Thanks for tuning in to the Urban Property Investor. To never miss an episode, make sure you subscribe to the podcast on your favorite app or on YouTube. And I would love it if you could give the show a rating and share it with your friends and family. In between episodes, you can always keep in touch with me by connecting on social media over Facebook, Instagram, or LinkedIn. Until we meet again on the next episode of the Urban Property Investor, Take care and bye for now.